This episode of the Astro Powder Podcast is brought to you by Gama. Whether you're the shop manager, system engineer, or powder coder, once you decide to make Gama an integral part of your shop, you'll understand how simple it is to be so productive. For a demonstration, call 877-437-6771. Once again, that's 877-437-6771. And be sure to mention, Ask Joe sent me. When you want to know that everything is covered, complete it with Gamma. Hello, all you powder coating fans, and welcome to episode 42 of the Ask Joe Powder podcast. I'm your host, Joe Powder, aka Kevin Biller, and with me, as always, is my esteemed colleague, sidekick, Nathan. He's the dog days of summer, keeping cool, ChemQuest, powder coating research formulator dude. That's right, you're listening to Ask Joe Powder in the Morning here on W... CQPCR. The Morning Zoo. Hey, Nick, let's get some of those wacky sound effects. <laughs> now you're supposed to edit those in. You need to, yeah, definitely in a wooga. And a, like a, a cash register sound. And then MLG um, air horn. Right. And like a clown nose. Honk. Okay, let's get it rolling. But before we do, shout out. I'd like to give a shout out to the amazing people in the Lead Paint Alliance. The Lead Paint Alliance is part of the United Nations Environmental Program, and it's co-curated by the U.S. EPA and the World Health Organization. Their mission is to eliminate lead in paint, first from household paints and Interestingly, playground equipment paint, and almost concurrently, or at least you know, soon thereafter, industrial coatings, which is kind of interesting for me because um, you know the Western world outlawed and eliminated lead in paint way back in the 1970s and 80s. However, currently there are a number of developing nations that continue to struggle with this uh, issue uh, up till to now. To put in perspective the economic impact that lead poisoning in, in children and in adults has on the world economy, it causes over $100 billion per year in loss, both economically and, and from a human standpoint. And it kind of break that down, you know, research estimates that elevated blood levels of lead, it incurs costs to healthcare to the tune of 11 to $53 billion, lifetime earnings upwards of $200 billion, um, reduced tax revenues, uh, costs for special education and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and, and indeed just the direct cost of crime uh, from the behavior that lead in blood uh, can cause 
uh, humans. The CQPCR is part of this awesome organization, which is active in over 100 countries, uh, specifically in Africa, the Middle East, Micronesia, and parts of South America. I want to give hats off, especially kudos to Angela Bandemeyer, who is, uh, represents the United States EPA, uh, the Office of International and Tribal Affairs, and she heads up the efforts uh, out of the United States to help support this initiative uh, to the rest of the world. Okay, it's time for our Guess What section. Guess What? All right, this first one comes from IPCM. They report that paint manufacturer Yotun announced a framework agreement with Emerson, the uh, global provider of industrial automation technology and software. They have a five-year agreement between the companies. Yotun will be implementing Emerson's digital technologies and improving all aspects of manufacturing automation in their new factories, as well as performing selected upgrades in some of their 39 existing factories around the world. Initially, the Yotun's going to focus on standardizing Emerson's modular Delta V distributed control system for new factory projects. So, you know, using intelligent control, they can ensure consistent integrated batch processes, reduce product quality risks, and improve productivity. Yeah, I think this is a really cool one, Nate, because... You know, the, the whole idea of uh, reduce, reuse, and recycle, you know, as far as making the world more sustainable. Um, by having a more highly efficient process, using less power to uh, accomplish your processing um, and your operations, I think it's a, it's just a great idea. It's pretty straightforward and maybe not obvious. Yeah, and just improving quality the first time around, I mean, reduce costs for everything. Yep really affects the bottom line. All right. Next one comes from PPCJ. This one, uh, Finnish-based coating manufacturer Technos has installed solar panels in its paint production factory in Rajamaki, Finland. Their, you know, their intent is to decrease the usage of fossil fuels, combat climate change along the way. And besides switching to renewable energy sources, the company's goal is to decrease energy consumption overall in all of its sites. That um, site in Rajamaki is where they produce powder coatings and waterborne liquid coatings. The solar panels should cover up to 2% of the energy usage for the whole factory. I'm guessing that's an average in the summertime. You're going to get a lot more sun in finland than in the winter time i'm wondering if they put solar panels on a, a factory that maybe is in uh, Riyadh or something maybe it'd be a little higher than two percent yep but you know they're doing what they can i think it makes a lot of sense to use renewable energy when you can yeah it, it, it saves money i'm sure it has a payback that's pretty short for the cost of the installation yep and then Here's another one from PPCJ. Solve announced the next step in its commitment to voluntarily phase out the use of fluorosurfactants globally by 2026. And so fluorosurfactants are a major component in their manufacturing of fluoropolymers. And 
basically finding alternatives for floor surfactants in every possible case that they can. Right now, they they've already eliminated the use of floor surfactants in the United States. They're saying there's like one site in Italy that they they still have to use it for some of their you know high tech that floral products, I guess. Which that's interesting because you know I think of floral surfactants as an additive into other formulated type materials, paints, you know, coatings is one of them. But they're saying they use fluorosurfactants as a building block for their floral polymers, which I wonder when the floral polymers may be under the radar um, as far as uh, issues with, you know, fluorinated uh, molecules that may be deleterious to um, to the environment, to humans. I guess time will tell. Okay, now it's time for the Q&A section. Do you have a question? Ask Joe Powder. Well, you can ask him. Ask Joe Powder. He has the answer. That'll answer. Powder coding. It's the Ask Joe Powder podcast. Okay, the first question comes from Millie in Australia. Millie asks, Hey Joe, we refurbish a large volume of metal parts that have dents in them. I think we've tried most, if not all, of the high temperature fillers with poor results. These fillers are very expensive, have adhesion problems, and bubbles forming in the finish coating. We've used Thermobond 3, high temp lab metal, etc. We've had the best results using all metal, high metal content, regular temp body filler. We use thin coats, allow 24 hours to dry between coats, and we cure it out around 135C. This is okay, but expensive and very time consuming. Are you aware of any products or techniques that'll help us? Hey, Millie. Um, repairing dents and parts can be a nightmare. And, you know, it, it becomes one of those things where you got to decide if the cost of the repair is more than the cost of the part, and you may have to just scrap the parts. Anyway, I, I imagine you've already done those types of calculations. But on, on to your, your question and the issue you have, um, I agree that most high-temperature fillers don't always work. So here's what I would do. Apply the filler as recommended by the manufacturer. They usually want you to apply no more than about six millimeters thickness, which about a quarter inch at a time, and then let the material air dry for 24 hours. They then recommend curing the material before applying a coating or an additional layer. What I would do is I would apply the material and then bake it. I, I would give it a, a higher temperature bake so you can shorten the time in between successive coats. This will drive out the volatiles that may be present in the fi filler. And really what I'd recommend is that you process these high temperature fillers at a temperature that's going to be higher than the curing temperature of the powder coating. What you can do in conjunction with this is consider using a low temperature cure powder coating which will bring down the temperature of everything that you're doing here. So if you're looking at maybe a low temp cure powder coating that cures at 150 to 160 degrees Celsius, you can do your application of your filler and, and the, the staging or curing of it somewhere around 170 C. I think it's going to get you out, out, of the, um, out of the woods on this one. Uh, give it a try and let me know if it helps. Best regards, Joe Powder. 
All right, and our second question comes from Mike in Arizona. Mike says, hello, Joe. I read your article about outgassing on zinc die castings. I have a few questions about this, if I could. First one, does this happen with aluminum die castings as well? Second question, what is the result of the outgassing? I envision a little crater on the surface of the part. And his third question is, you recommend driving the part temperature above the powder cure temperature, which is typically 200 C. How much higher than the cure temperature should you take the part, and for how long? I.e., is there a recommended soak time at the elevated temperature? Thanks for the help, Joe. Well, hello, Mike. Yes, indeed, this phenomenon also occurs with aluminum castings as well as zinc die cast parts and and uh, cast iron parts uh, as well. And and this is due to porosity in the part due to an incomplete you know, casting process. It's, it's very common across the board with castings. And one thing you, you will see, the quality of the casting process and, and, and the caster will make a difference. Some, some casters are uh, much better at reducing porosity in their parts. However, you're looking for uh, a solution to the problem that you're dealing with. You also wondered uh, what does this look like on the part if it's you know as a defect and it it actually you know after it's coated and if you do get the the off gassing uh, from the cast metal part it's going to look like a bubble usually it could look like a you know a bubble or a burst bubble or yeah or a pinhole or a crater but depends on the the size of the pores yeah. in the casting so. Anyway, to your to your question, my experience has been that aluminum castings general, generally have less porosity than zinc ones, and hence fewer issues. As for a pre-bake, uh, I don't feel a long soak at a temperature is needed. I feel getting the part up to a temperature somewhat above the powder cure temperature is sufficient. And, and like I mentioned in the earlier... Uh, answer to the previous question, using a lower temperature cure powder coating can kind of help a lot with uh, avoiding this problem. In this case, I suggest you give a, a low temp powder that cures at around 160C a try. Um, this gives you a pretty decent compromise of lower temperature cure without uh, running into a serious concern for, for physical storage stability of the powder coating. So I'd use a pre-bake, off-gassing base, bake at you know, maybe 170, 180 degrees C, uh, remove the part, allow it to cool a little bit, but I would coat it right away with a low-temp cure powder, like I said, 160 C, and bake it for its uh, recommended bake. And I think you're going you're gonna to resolve this problem. Uh, give it a try and let me know how it works. Best regards, Joe Powder. And now, it's time for a word from our sponsors. You have a lot going on every single workday, with many things requiring your attention. But you shouldn't have to worry about the efficiency and productivity of your powder coating shop. 
Gamma automated powder coating systems offer you greater efficiencies while producing consistent, high-quality results. We provide the very best in powder delivery, application technology, connectivity for smarter factory automation, and comprehensive powder management solutions. To learn more, visit completeitwithgama.com. To speak with a representative or schedule a demonstration, call 877-437-6771. And be sure to mention, Ask Joe sent me. Synchronize it, change it, integrate it, automate it. Now is the time to complete it with Gama. The Powder Coating Research Group is now part of the ChemQuest Group, proud sponsor of the Ask Joe Powder Podcast. ChemQuest Powder Coating Research is the only independent laboratory dedicated to powder coating technology. We do everything from evaluating raw materials, formulating the next generation of coating, developing new products, consulting, testing, troubleshooting, and training. Our parent company, ChemQuest, provides expert business strategy and advisory services in all aspects of the specialty chemicals value chain, including expertise in both liquid and powder coating. To find out more, visit our website at powdercoatingresearch.com or ChemQuest's website at www.chemquest.com. You can email Kevin Biller at kbiller at chemquest.com. Thanks for listening to the Astro Powder Podcast. The ChemQuest Group is the parent company of CQPCR and provides strategic consulting to companies throughout the specialty chemicals value chain, including advisory services on business strategy, market research, mergers, acquisitions, or divestitures, manufacturing excellence, and formulation, application development, and benchmarking for liquid coatings and adhesives through our sister facility, the ChemQuest Technology Institute. Please contact Edie Fox Abrams, Vice President of Business Development at info at chemquest.com. And we're back. The next question comes from Rebecca in Philadelphia. Rebecca says, Hi, Joe. We've been developing new polymers for powder coatings. One of the most critical properties is impact resistance. Our test results have been inconsistent and vary significantly depending on the substrate used. In some cases, the coating passes 160 inch-pounds, and with other conditions, only gets 80 inch-pounds. What could be the cause of this variation, and how can we eliminate these variations? Thank you. All right, Rebecca. Um, first of all, kudos to you and your colleagues for developing new polymers. Most of the advancements that we uh, achieve in powder coating technology are based on new and improved polymer chemistry. Um, it's kind of difficult for us to create new coatings without innovative polymers. So we thank you for your efforts. Now let's talk about impact resistance. When we talk about impact resistance, we're talking about rapid deformation. And this type of phenomenon is described in ASTM D2794, uh, which is the standard test method for rapid deformation of organic coatings uh, in parentheses impact. ISO 6272-1 also uh, covers the same test method. The values quoted in impact resistance 
at least in, in North America, are usually quoted in inch pounds. When you're looking at ISO, um, typically it's going to be in metric, uh, and it's going to be quoted in Newton meters. But it basically refers to the weight times the distance, in this case height, of the, the impact. Another parameter they pay attention to is the radius of the ball or hemisphere that impacts the surface of the coating. In North America, the traditional apparatus uses a 5 8 inch uh, diameter ball, which is just under 16 millimeters, although some specifications will call for a half inch, um, which 12 and a half or 12.7 millimeters. Keep in mind that the smaller the diameter, the greater the deformation, and consequently, most probably, lower impact resistance. Okay, so aside from the coating's inherent flexibility, the substrate has the most significant influence on film performance. And this is important in a couple of different ways. First of all, adhesion is affected by the type of metal, the surface profile of the metal, the cleanliness, and often the pretreatment of the metal. So correspondingly, impact resistance is affected by adhesion, so a poorly cleaned or pretreated substrate may cause unexpected and uh, random impact failure. On the other hand, clean, well-pretreated metal uh, will enhance impact resistance by establishing a strong bond of the powder coating film to the substrate. Okay, so cleanliness and adhesion are important, but here's another thing people sometimes forget to take into account, and that would be the gauge or thickness uh, of the substrate and, and also the type of metal that the substrate's comprised of. So put it this way, 80-inch pounds on a ductile grade of aluminum or aluminum will have a significantly more deformation than uh, the same thickness of carbon steel. And certainly the gauge or thickness of the metal will also influence deformation and therefore impact resistance. Thicker gauge metal will deform less and therefore the coating experiences less stress and it looks like it has a higher impact uh, resistance. So, so you got to just keep in mind, you got to look at how much deflection or how much the metal or substrate bends to get a good comparison. Furthermore, <laughs> uh, coating parameters uh, affect coating impact resistance. And these are mainly film thickness and degree of cure. Um, thinner films have a tendency to exhibit higher impact resistance. Thicker ones are typically more brittle. And this, this issue of cure, uh, incomplete cure will give you less impact resistance and, and it could throw you off in, in a, assessing the performance of a coating and or you know, the polymer that's contained within it. Um, so it's, it's imperative that you ensure that your coating receives sufficient temperature and time as specified by the coating supplier. One last thing I want to say about making a decision for 
what type of substrate you should be using for your testing. Um, you should use a substrate that is uh, relevant to the target market. So if you're looking at, uh, like, let's say an architectural type end use, you may want to be looking at some grade of aluminum that's consistent with what your end, end customer will be using. If it's for general industrial type end uses, cold rolled steel is most common. Um, and furthermore, the cleaning and pretreatment type is important. Um, cold rolled steel is typically pretreated with uh, some type of phosphate, most commonly iron phosphate, um, sometimes zinc phosphate, more common in automotive type applications, and more recently, zirconium based cleaning pretreatment um, systems are used. Aluminum may also use zirconium, sometimes zinc phosphate. Um, older systems may be still using uh, a chromate. You've got to keep all these things in, in mind. Uh, you working in a laboratory for a polymer company, I would highly recommend that you get your substrate from a reputable test panel supplier. And these are pretty easy to find online. Is that enough, Nate, for just a brief discussion on how impact <laughs> resistance is affected? Yes. I got to take a breath after that. Okay, it's time for, what's this one called, Nick? Upcoming events. That's a, okay. Now it's time for what's up events. <laughs> hey, friends, I mean, upcoming we events. All right, July 26th through July 28th, 2022 is the Latin American Coding Show in Mexico City. That's a new one for me. I haven't heard of that one before. No, I think it's too short notice for me to go this time, but I, I don't know. Maybe next next time it comes around. I don't know if it's annual or... Yeah, I don't know that one. I, it may be a new one, actually, but yeah, um, I, a lot of stuff happening in Latin America. I wonder how that compares to the Abrafati one, which I know is you know South American-centric, but it's also for Latin America. Only one way to find out. <clears throat> Go to both shows. All right. And then September 8th and 9th, the Powder Coating Summit is going on. It's co-located with Coatings, Trends, and Technologies show in Lombard, Illinois, in the Chicago area. And I just wanted to mention, we're going to be doing a little training piece during that, calling it the PC Kitchenette. Um, love, love that. Yeah, but if you're, you know, if you're new to powder coatings or if you're like a supplier to the powder coatings industry and you want to know more about what goes into them, um, we're, we've got, you know, basically a three hour segment where we're going to be talking about formulating, you know, the sort of materials that go into putting together powder coating, uh, processing, you know, how they're actually made application where it's you know everything about the electric electrostatic spray and bake and cure and everything like that and then also the testing you know the sort of test procedures that we use to measure film performance so that's going to be you know it's going to be a live presentation and discussion and we're also going to have some videos because you know typically 
the way we would do this is we would invite people to the lab when the powder coating summit was happening in the same city as us. But since it's going to be remote, we're going to show you some videos and, you know, come check it out if you're interested in learning more about powder coatings or if you just want to say hi to Joe Powder. Yeah, that sounds good. And then right after that, the 14th through 16th, September, Asia Pacific Coating Show is going on in Jakarta, Indonesia. End of September, we've got a PC Kitchen two-day formulators course. And those dates are, it's the last week in September, so, <laughs> yeah, look it up, you'll find it. All right, if you want to find the Astro Powder column uh, in a periodical or journal, um, you can find it in IPCM, which is International Paint Coatings Magazine, which comes from our good friends in Italy. Every issue you'll find a, an Astro Powder. you also find it in PPCJ, which is Polymer Paint Color Journal, from our good friends in the UK. That also serves the Middle East market for coatings. You can find us also at the website of PCI Magazine, Paint and Coatings Industry. That's PCIMag.com. Uh, you might have to look a little bit. I think it's under Finishing Flash. And if you're looking for an archive, Powder Coated Tough Magazine, which can be found either on powdercoating.org or powdercoatedtough.com. Uh, you can find Joe Powder columns for past issues. I think I wrote in that one for at least 10 years. All right, and you can find us online at askjoepowder.com. If you want to be the first to know when an episode comes out, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We have a YouTube channel. If you want to subscribe to that, these podcasts all go up on there, and sometimes we post other videos. Uh, Twitter, at aka Joe Powder. And if you want to ask a question, you can send it in to our email address at askjoepowder at yahoo.com, or you can call and leave a message, country code 1-478-2-ASK-JOE. That's 1-478-227-5563. This has been a production of ChemQuest Powder Coating Research. The original music editing and the wacky sound effects are by Nick Page. This has been episode 42. And so long, and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> and keep your powder dry, my friends. Thank you for listening to the Astro Powder Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Gamer. Gamma's Optistar all-in-one control unit leads the industry with a design fusing electrostatics and powder feed in one compact device. By combining the powder injector and control unit functionality into one device, you get the highest coating efficiency, fastest response times of powder output, and excellent cleaning performance. For more information, call 877-437-6771. Once again, that's 877-437-6771. 6771. And be sure to mention, Ask Joe sent me. Configure it, feed it, optimize it, integrate it. Complete it with Gamma. Good enough to put me to sleep at night. Yeah.
Yeah. Well, if you're if you're listening to it on when you're driving, maybe. Oh yeah, that's dangerous. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Keep your eye on the road. And uh, is that gonna be a problem, Nick? I don't see it peaking the meter at all. Run, run, run. They're just they're just walking by. So they're Radio, gonna... This is more radio sound. 